I'm going to read Titus 1, 5 through 9 again. That's going to be the, the main text that we look at today. So Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete. Remember, Crete is an island off of Greece. It's, it's where like they believe all the false gods have come from. It's a little bit wild, right? You got sun, sand, sex. It's, it's insane. Now the gospel has went into that island. People have believed this gospel message. They've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they do not know how to behave, right? And, and just because they believe this gospel message does not mean that all the things they've learned as they've grown up have just all of a sudden, wham, it's like microwavable Christian. It's a hot pocket. All of a sudden, they have arrived. It's not the case. Paul says, here's why I left you in Crete. So here's the reason for the letter so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So what's the point? What's the main point? If you are going to have a healthy church, you must have qualified leaders. If you had to summarize that text in one sentence, that's what I'm summarizing it as. If you're going to have any chance at a healthy church, you must have qualified leaders. You can have healthy leaders, by the way, and not have a healthy church. Just read the Bible. Um, Moses, I would say, was a healthy leader, and he, he led a, a band of misfits, right, over and over. Corinth. Corinth is like the church gone wild. It's like Jerry Springer on steroids in that church. Yet, they're a called out people, right? They're a loved people. And they have healthy elders. They have healthy leaders, and they're leading them towards health. You can have healthy elders, but not a healthy church. But I'll tell you what, you cannot have a healthy church if you don't have healthy leaders. You might have pockets of health, because God's grace works like that. It's in spite of you many times, right? But you will not have an opportunity to have a healthy organization, a people, a family, if you don't have a healthy set of parents, right? One kid might make it, two kids might make it, but, but the norm, it's not going to happen, right? We know this, right? It's been said, listen, everything rises, this is a quote from some church guru, everything rises and falls on leadership. But knowing how to lead is only half the battle, your character qualities activate and empower your leadership ability, or they can stand in the way of your success. We, we know that to be true. If you just look at the business world, we know that to be true. You all know that I have like a background from Radio Shack, and, and I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of stories because no one cares about the retail world, and if you do, you don't want to hear it on a Sunday morning, hopefully. But here's what I'll tell you. Radio Shack used to be a Fortune 500 company, and the reason it failed was because they did not do well of handing the baton off to qualified leaders. The CEO that eventually took over after a, what I, we believed to be a good CEO was a man who lied about his whole identity. He said he graduated from this college, he had this degree, and you, I mean, and it was stunning. And somehow he lied his way into the CEO position. They found out none of that was true. None of it. 
was true. He did graduate, but it was like, well, I won't say that because you might be like, hey, I graduated there, and you might be bright, right? But it was just just an average little community college. He didn't have the credentials that he had said he had. He lied. And somehow he made it the whole way to run a Fortune 500 company, and he ran it to the ground. And, and that happened because about uh, three, four months in, he had his fourth DUI. And the, the board elders uh, of that team, the, the, let's say the people who were entrusted to watch over Radio Shack and their stock, they, they left. They just started leaving left and right because the company didn't do a good job of vetting him out. Eventually he got fired, and for causing us all those problems, we paid him $2 million in severance. And the company failed. It's in the ground. They had a funeral. It's done. Same's true of churches. Uh, just this week, listen, there's a mega church, or once was a mega church. I won't name it. Um, you can find it. It's all over the church world news. But uh, it was previously named America's fastest growing church, and it's not the one everyone talks about rise and fall. It's another one, right? Just this week this happened, right? And this church went from a handful of people year one to over 2,000 people in year two, okay? From 2015 to 2016, it had the fastest growing church in America. They, they went to six weekly services. And, and now listen, today, or at least last week when this was written, they had a handful, a few dozen people show up on a service for their six services. Why? Why does this happen? How did this happen? In that church particularly, and almost all the other ones, men who were entrusted to care for the church actually did not keep a good watch on their life and on their lips, on their teaching and on how they lived with their character. They did not line up. They would get up week after week, they would feed the church, but they were not feeding on the gospel themselves, and they were out to drift, and nobody was blowing the whistle. And the people who probably were blowing the whistle eventually just got out, right? Well, because you don't have room here. So, point one, it's in your, your bulletin there. Healthy churches have elders who work hard to straighten out what is bent. That's what it means in verse 5. Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. Know that S. Look at it. Notice it's plural. In every town as I directed you. Just talking to everybody in general. Do you ever feel like your work's never finished? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, yeah. So, whoa. (laughs) You came alive. I'm so proud of you. Right? Like, that got an amen, and I, I look at a couple of the moms because I know, like, I see it, right? And, but, but not just moms, like, think of family, think of career, think of, man, I think of my uncle, the farmer. Man, this dude had 12 kids, and, and, and it's not always because he loved kids. He needed employees, right? <laughs> Straight up. He would tell his kids that, man, we need you to work on the farm. If this farm's going to make it, you got to work, and they did work. But this, he never took a vacation. I don't even know if he ever breathed. All he did was labor, labor, labor. It was never, he, his, his farm never arrived. He was always doing that. Same can be true of church planting. Church planting is, is exhausting. There can be no passivity. You, you know, I'm not saying I don't ever lay around in my sweats and watch the Olympics like I've done for like a straight week. But, but there's work to be done through emails, through preparation, through prayer, through working and talking to all the people that God's bringing. Paul's church planting strategy is that for this 
pagan culture that as he preaches the gospel and as people believe, he organizes these people into churches, into local churches, so that they'll take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that they will be witnesses, not just in the island of Crete, but wherever they go. And he wants to move on. And the only way he can move on is to make sure that he has qualified leaders to care for the people who have just come to faith. Paul was, man, this guy, he wanted to go where the gospel had not been preached. But to do that, he had to make sure that the people who came to faith here were cared for. The way to do that, the way he chose to do that, the way the Bible lays out to do that is to have qualified men lead the church. And what does that look like? Well, I mean, that's what we're going to be looking at. But before we get to that... Titus has been left back to put what remained into order. We can know from reading the letter kind of what that is, but there's probably a lot more. Just, I mean, seriously, just imagine like the most wild island ever they come to faith in Jesus. What remains, what's, what's bent there? You can imagine a lot. I mean, a lot. And one of them's teaching. We're going to hear about that next week. There are people teaching things that are not in accord with God's word. You got to straighten that out. You must straighten that out. But they're living wild lives. This whole letter really is just trying to teach a people how to live in a culture that's gone wild. Does that sound at all familiar? I mean, seriously, that's, that's what the letter is. Like, you're going to need people, you're going to need men to teach the people who come to faith in Jesus. Their whole life was like turned down for what? Man, they just lived wild lives. Now you have to teach them to live in submission to King Jesus. What does it mean to pick up your cross? What does it mean to deny him? What does it mean to follow him wherever he leads? We might use those words, but you have to have someone disciple you, to teach you, to, to have godly leaders that you can look to and say, that's what it looks like. And this is, what, this is what Paul is, is saying. Listen, Titus, this is what you must do. You must do this. Just to put what remains in order is, is really like the wording there in Greek, by the way, is like is what, how an orthodontist straightens crooked teeth. That, that's what it means, okay? If you've ever had that done, you know it's a process. It takes time. If you have an orthodontist who says, I can give you that smile today, it's going to be painful and it probably won't be good. Uh, lots of pain involved. He has to have a plan of longevity. He must have patience. He has, to, he has to have skills. He has to know how to straighten your teeth. And he has to know the process, when to tighten down, when to not tighten down. And that's exactly what these men, the, the people who lead God's church, must know. So that's why he said he must appoint elders, plural, in every town for the sake of the gospel. It's work. It's work, and it's too much work for one man. If you ever go to a church and it's just one guy, there might be a season where that's the case and that's okay. But if there's not a plan to raise up other elders within the church, that's not a good sign. Because not one man, other than unless you mean King Jesus, has all that it takes to do this thing. You need a plurality of elders. That is God's plan. That is his design for the church. Question, what's an elder, right? Like today you learn, it's like class, man. You learn about what's an Ebenezer. Today you're going to learn what's an elder. Because if you're like me, man, when I came into the church, first off, the first church I went to, they never used the word elder. They just, they used the word pastor. And I'm like, oh, okay. So like, well, what's that? But then I did get around to church where they started to use this word elder. And I'm like, well, what's that, right? I thought, well, it's probably a guy with like salt and pepper hair or maybe a sunroof, right? You know what I mean by that? He's solar powered, but he's an old dude. That's what it means, right? That's what it means to be an elder. I'm like, this church has tons of elders. That's, that's not exactly what the Bible means when it says elder. 
It's definitely not what it means in the Bible. The word elder can synonymously be called overseer. You can see it right in the text. He says elder at the beginning, and then he says overseer in the same text, right? It's synonymous. Bishop, right? It's not just a chess piece. You can act like bishop is a ruler, but it's an elder. It's someone who's caring for. But we commonly use in our culture the word pastor. All of those words are synonymous. They're synonymous, right? So Kevin and I right now currently are the elders of For the City Church. We are the pastors of For the City Church. We are praying that God will raise up more elders as the church goes and grows so that we can send them out to plant churches. Because if you're going to plant churches, you must have qualified leaders. That's Paul's strategy. The elders are qualified men chosen for their ministry according to clear biblical requirements. And it's laid out in this text, but it's also laid out in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. You might want to look at that. They're very, they're very much the same. There's a couple nuances. One thing that, that, that Paul says to Timothy is that they must have a good reputation with those outside of the church. He doesn't say that in Titus, so that's important to know. But they must work hard to straighten out what has been. It's labor, but it's a patient labor. It's a patient labor. You can't just force them into godliness. Remember, don't detach what we learned last week. Last week we learned there is a truth that leads to godliness. Well, how do we do that? Well, you have leaders who have come to truth, the knowledge and the truth of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior. Their lives show that that's led to godliness. And then what they do now is to teach, to train, to disciple, to love people patiently into the truth that leads to godliness that's what he's saying so point two healthy churches have elders who reflect jesus in their character you're going to see that in six through eight i'm going to read it as a whole we're going to break it down a little bit um i promise to try not to bore you too much because sometimes when you get into list type things it can be like okay dude we got it but but i really want you to see this so it says if anyone's above reproach the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, underline that, highlight that, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But he, he must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. What do you look for in a leader? It's a question to think about. You know, oftentimes, people look primarily for skills and charisma, right? Boy, that, that guy's electrifying. Well, that, that, that's probably going to serve that man very well in the world. The problem is when it, we, we say that's the measurement for in the church. It's, it's a problem, right? We see this all the time. There's, there's this thought of almost like a professional pastor. <laughs> Kevin and I, if you hang out with us long enough, you will know we are not professionals, Right? And everyone's like, amen. And, right? But, but, but the world, and even in the church, we look at this and we say, man, he's a great preacher. He's a dynamic communicator. He has a dynamic personality. He's a great vision caster. He, he's an administrative giant. I bet you, man, if the Lord just saved that guy, he would be amazing as a pastor. And, and, but he might not be qualified. He could have all those things, and he would have room in the church to, to be able to help build that church, but he might not be an elder. The great need then and now, by the way, and always until Jesus returns, is biblical 
godly shepherds who find their job description laid out in the Bible, not in some church pastoral manual, unless it's anchored to the Bible. And most of them are not, by the way. This is how churches end up with like CEO type pastors. And the effects of that has not been good. It don't take much to see it. You just have to look, right? Um, it's, it's had damage on their families, on their personal lives, on the church, and the world looks on and, and it's just like, you guys are exactly the same. You're just not as good as the CEOs that I've met at Apple, right? And there's a lot of truth to that. It's why there's, you know, quote unquote, the rise and fall of so many churches. They're led by CEOs that are not biblically qualified elders for the most part. Some of them were. And just Satan got in and just shredded the man's life. But, you know, it's one thing to shred the man's life, but the whole elder board to fall asleep and not pay attention, the whole elder team, the whole pastoral team, the, the shepherds, that's a problem. But the CEO-type pastor, generally speaking, has many yes-men around him and nobody to guard the gate. And you've got to have people who love the church more than they love you. And you're a part of the church. You're a part of the church, and they got to love you, but to love you might just mean discipline for you. It might mean you need to take a TV timeout and never serve in that role again. Why? Because the church matters. Jesus' fame and renown matter, and so we have to guard the gate. So here's the deal. Contrary to most church leadership books that are popular, the men called to serve in the role of an elder or a shepherd are not corporate heads. They're just not. not. Not guys who are great at raising money and building big buildings. And boy, they can draw a crowd and they look like a Fortune 500 executive. That's not what it looks like. God is much more interested in the quality and the character of that man than what that man can do. Why? Because God doesn't need any man to accomplish his ends, but he chooses to work through men, women, and children to bring about his glory in the world but he brings it about in just broken men broken women broken kids why because he just loves to supply grace in those moments right so so that's what God's interested in because here's the deal if if that's the case if you're receiving the grace and the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ then what happens is it flows out of you at times we talked about that last week so what should Titus be looking for what should every other church be looking for what should for the city church be looking for in one word is faithful it's one word he's going to give more words but I'm saying faithful because being faithful means being steadfast it means being loyal in all aspects of life that's what it looks like. For an elder to be faithful within the church gathering in the body means they will straighten out what is bent. They will see that it's off the rails and they will work hard to get it back on the rails. Why? Because they love the church. It's going to be hard work. But to have a healthy church is hard work. And it takes the work of everyone, but it specifically takes the work of those who are called to lead it. They will teach with their lips and it will match their lives. And when it doesn't, they will confess that and ask for help as they repent and as they change. They'll be humble men, right? This is what it looks like to, to love Jesus. Good disciples will make good disciples. Bad disciples will make bad disciples. In, in six, seven, eight years, I'm going to say this right now, and you guys can throw it in my face. If, if this church has major deficiencies in the way they love one another, chances are it's my problem. 
Chances are you're matching my character flaw right there. If, if I'm always angry, I'll have an always angry church. That's how we'll respond. We won't respond with humility. We won't respond with love. We won't respond with patience because I got no patience. It's just true. Now, you can't take that too far. You're going to have some that just, they just get off the rails. It's going to happen. But as a whole, in five, ten years, you're going to look like the elders of a church. You're going to look like the pastors of a church in most ways. Why? Because they're leading. So, before jumping in to all of the things, with them, right? What's that? It's a Radio Shack phrase. I'm sure they ripped it off of someone, but what's in it for me? Because I'm guessing many of you did not wake up this morning eating your, like, you know, fruity pebbles thinking, gosh, I hope Pastor Scott preaches on polity and church leadership. <laughs> and if you did, well, then we might have a spot for you. But... but Right? Because like, there are some guys. I'm like that, man. I love this. I geek out over this. But for the most part, like, just tell me how not to like, wreck my life. Well, I want you to know something. All of the Word of God is profitable for all of the people of God. It just is, right? So, listen, there's gonna be, there are men in this room that aspire to be an elder. Pay attention. Hopefully, the rest of you, you love the church. So pay attention. But, but then the rest, here's what I want you to know. Almost everything we're going to talk about should just be for Christians. For Christians. For those who say they love Jesus. Apart from one specific, let's say, gifting, and that is able to teach the Word of God to God's people. And I would even say I would love to see everybody grow in that. Everybody grow in that. So, so seriously, pay attention, right? Above reproach. So that's just faithful in general. See it in verse 6? An elder must be above reproach. Faithful in general. It's kind of like the umbrella that, that Paul says. I'm not going to name everything, Titus, but just in case I miss something, above reproach. That's the umbrella. Everything else is going to come underneath that. We'll break it down even more. But this just means essentially that, that an elder ought to have a good reputation, in their home, in the community, everywhere they go, in their work. You look at this man's life and you say, well, other than he's a sloppy eater, he's got tacos in his beard, I'd like to look like that guy. I'd like to love like that guy. I'd like to follow that guy. Right? I, I think that's so important. Right? There, there's some translations, you may even have one that you're looking at, would, that would say blameless. And that's a good translation, by the way. Um, just don't con conclude that blameless means perfect. That would be a misunderstanding of the word. The ESV says that, that it's above reproach, but many of them say blameless. It does not mean perfect or without any fault. There's only one elder, let's say chief shepherd, pastor, who's perfect. His name's King Jesus, right? But I would say that we absolutely should be above reproach. You should not hear a bunch of people being able to say the same constant theme in a man's life and, and not look into it, right? Now, Jesus had haters, Right? So it doesn't mean the first accusation, he's not above reproach. Well, then Jesus wasn't above reproach, right? Because, hey, he's a drunkard and a glutton. Is that true? Hashtag fake news. No, he wasn't. That was not true. If you looked into his life, you'd know that wasn't accurate. But if everyone's coming out of the woodwork and say, yeah, no, he's really not a good dude. He, like, beats up his neighbors. It doesn't take long to figure out, like, hey, did, did this guy beat you up? Yes, he did. Okay, that's not above reproach. And that's like a low bar. Let's, let's set the bar higher. Well, okay, what's that look like? Keep working. He, it says the husband of one wife. See that in verse 6? He's faithful to his wife. Side note, this does not mean that single men could not be an elder. 
Who are some good examples? How about Titus? Titus never got married. How about Paul? Right? Pretty, pretty important guy. How about Jesus? We would say he's a pretty faithful dude, right? But what he is saying is that if he is married, and, and there's even a conclusion we can draw to single men, because really the translation, he does not mean no polygamy. Like, that's a low bar, right? Hey, you just got to have one, one wife. You can't have like 20. You can't have a harem, right? That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? He, he's saying it's a one-woman man. So that's, that's a much better translation of what he's saying. A one-woman man. This is a man who loves his wife. He's for her. His heart, his mind, his affections are devoted to her and her alone. He's cuckoo crazy about her. And even when he's not, he's committed. He's committed to working that out. He, right, like, he doesn't have a history of flirting with women. He just doesn't have a history of that. If he does, he has to work that out. And he should not have an opportunity to be in a leadership position, specifically of an elder for years until you get that worked out. And that means online or in person. We got to say that now. I mean, Paul didn't have to say that to Titus then, but we have to say that. He, he doesn't, you don't find him just always flirting and saying these little things, kind of fishing, hoping something happens. No, simply put, this means that elders have strong marriages if they're married emotionally and physically. Here's the deal like, there are many men who've been married for years, maybe 50, let's just say 50, that's the one, right? And they're not. They are not one-woman men. Even though they've never been divorced and they've been married 50 years, that's not the case all the time. He has a habit. She just might be enduring. She just might be like, I just got to get to the end for the sake of kids and for the sake of Christianity. He might be a terrible husband. You have to know the person. And it, but it should also be noted, like, you could be a single man and be, a, in a sense, not a flirt, not these things. Like you're above reproach in these ways. You are guarding your heart for the day that if the Lord does give you a wife, man, I've been waiting for you. You're mine, right? I'm scared of God and I'm scared of Jess. So like straight out, I just want you to know, I am a one woman man. I just am. She's from the west side of heaven. You hang out. She'll cut you. Like I just know. So like, so that's what we're looking for. Um, the next thing that he would go on to say is like, faithful to children. I'm not, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. You need, my wife's gangster. So like, faithful to children. See right there. His children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. Um, a, a father should be a pale reflection of the father heart of God in the home. He, he just really should be. Wise. By the way, the word children here does imply small children. I did a lot of work to make sure that's an accurate statement from this moment right here. Meaning that the, the children shouldn't be like these little demon-possessed hobbits that go around biting people's kneecaps. It just, it just should not happen, right? And if it does, okay, that's where we're at. We've got to work. We've got to help them, right? We, we want to encourage their, their parenting. But, but you need to manage home. It seems like you're not managing, right? Like, so... Maybe you are, and they're just wiling out. But if you have like a tribe of that, that's a problem. There's your sign, right? But when it says children are believers, I, I want to make sure that we understand something. It does not mean that a child needs to be regenerate or born again. 
And you might be thinking, well, that's what it says. We need to dig here. I'm not going to do a ton of digging here, but if you want to talk to me one-on, we can do that. We cannot control whether children come to faith in Jesus. That is a gift. Salvation is a gift. What it does mean is they ought to be faithful in the home when, as the children, and even as they grow up, to embrace mom and dad and their leadership. doesn't mean they're perfect children. I think mistakes that I've seen in churches is that they'll sometimes put so much heavy expectation on pastors' kids that they feel like I can't even be myself in this gathering and then they just while out and they run right so so we just lovingly care for right simply put your children should not be just wild and disobedient and every time you engage them if that happens you just have to care for your kids you need to maybe step down and care for that situation if that's where you're at why because the church is that important it's that important. In all of this, what's clearly being communicated is that potential elders must be leading their family well. This must be faithful. Why? Because the home is the training ground for leadership. Men, any men who have children or are going to have children, you are pastor dad at home. You're shepherding. That's what you're doing. You're leading them as you go to Christ. You're leading them to the same God you love and worship. Why is that important? I love that Paul says it, essentially because if a man's an ogre at home, he'll be an ogre with the church in time. If he is passive at home, he will eventually be passive with the church. He must be active. If he's loving, if he's attentive, if he's filled with grace, if he's filled with mercy, not a perfect man, but a repentant man, well then, if he takes responsibility for his family so that they will flourish under his care and under his leadership, guess what? He'll do the same in the church. That's what, that's what he's saying. It's a good indicator, if not. Right? The, the strong emphasis is for elders and pastors to be God's steward. A steward is just someone who's entrusted to care for something that's not theirs. And what, what God is saying is, you're entrusted to care for the sheep I shed my blood to purchase. Oh, that's, a, that's a weighty responsibility. It's very serious, right? So then he goes into, he must be faithful in character and conduct. And once again, this is for everybody. You should, you should attain to have this be said of you. Notice Paul gives five negative virtues to avoid, but he also gives six positive ones to, to aspire to, right? So let's look at the negative ones first. And, and by the way, it's pride, temper, drink, power, money. Like, that's how I would say them if I were writing this. He says it a little different, but like, it made me think of like the locks. Um, it's a rap song, money, power. So yeah, anyway, I shouldn't even go there. Don't look that up. Every dude in history is tempted here is what I want you to know. You could probably say every woman, every human, pride, temper, drink, power, money. He must not be arrogant. That's the first one. Not self-centered, right? If a guy is looking at his Facebook and Instagram and mirror more than he's actually looking at God's sheep who might be hurting, that's a problem, right? If he's constantly walking around... By the way, arrogant people are generally the most insecure people because they want you to just love them. It's not about you. They love you to get love. They don't love out of a heart that is loved in Christ. They're arrogant. They need you to recognize them, to always applaud them, to high-five them, to pat them on the back. They're arrogant. They're self-pleaser. They want fans for themselves, not followers for Christ. That's a problem. They, They can't handle correction. They're jealous of someone else who might be more gifted than them. They're arrogant. We don't want that. We do not want that. 
He must not be quick-tempered, and I'm adding violent in there because the two go together. If you're quick-tempered, eventually it leads to violence. It might not lead to like physical altercation, but in the heart and with the tongue, certainly. And both of those things can be violent. Someone who has a short fuse, um, their first response is to attack verbally or physically. It's not good because an elder is going to be in many situations where, boy, that, that short fuse is going to be tested and boom. Now everybody has a mess to clean up. So like no Jesus fight clubs in the elder team. You think that's funny. So you go on the Google. That's right. I said the Google, right? That's, that's how all the older folks say. My dad called it the Google. Just cracks me up. And, uh, but you go on there and type in elders fighting in the church and just watch the videos. Because many of these services are, 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 are filmed. They're recorded. And it's just everywhere. I heard a story just this week that I can't get into a ton, but if you come over for lunch, I'll share it with you. Like an elder just flat out laid a guy out in the service. That's a problem, don't you think? Right? We need, man, gosh, what we are praying for is we need men who will build the church up, not beat it down. That's what we want. That's what we want. We, we, we do need tough men. They have thick skin, but they have a tender heart. They have a long wick. Because you're going to need it. You're going to be in situations that will just break your heart. And if you're tempted towards anger, and you need to know the Lord... Can, can do amazing work in an angry man if you will submit yourself. And I know because I'm living proof. That was my number one skill set as a lost man. I was an angry man. I was a violent man. It was my drug of choice. That's why when Jesus saved me, everybody's like, you're a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I know. It's wild. But if I had been an elder at that state of the game, that had been a real problem for the church. I had, Jesus had so much work to do in me. I had so much unforgiveness. I had so much bitterness. I had so many bags that I was bringing into every relationship. And he needed to clear them all out before I could ever care for the church. Right? Is it still a temptation? You're darn right. It is. I, I say that. But, but man, I got to tell you, the Lord has done an amazing work here. Because as soon as I see it, and Kevin knows it, and I tell him, it, it's just, he just squashes it. He just squashes it. The spirit is at work here, right? So he must not be a drunkard. It's like, well, duh, right? It seems like pretty obvious. Um, by the way, I would say this is all substance abuse or anything that's used as an escape, right? Anything that's used as an escape. Because why? The, the, the stress is real for, for a, a leader, any leader, but specifically those who are caring for God's people. So what's appropriate? Like, well, I need outlets. Go for a walk. Punch a punching bag. Get on your Xbox and go to war, right? Like, whatever. Those things might, don't go in there for 15 hours, right? That's a problem. But like, that's appropriate. But, but here's what's not appropriate. Hitting the bottle or the bong. Not good, right? Like, if your accountability partners is like Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, and Jose Cuervo, you're not leading this people. That's a problem. It's a problem. He, he goes on. He must not be greedy for gain. Money must not be our motive. This is funny for me, right? It's like, well, duh. <laughs> like, don't, if you, listen, man, if you want to make money, don't get into pastoral ministries. Right? I know there are a handful of people who got, like, their jets and their bling. They've disqualified themselves probably a thousand times, right? It, you're, it goes downwards, a downward trend, like humility comes now. But here's the thing, you're cared for. 
You're cared for. So there's no whining. There's no complaining. But you can be poor and have a love of money. You can be poor. You can have not much money and you're greedy. So it's not just about what's in the bank. It's what's in the heart. It's what's in the heart. We don't want people who want gain like that. You want to see gain in the church family. So that's the negative list. More could be said, but who has time? Positive. He must be hospitable. By the way, it, you know the, a better translation for that word is lovers of strangers. A lover of strangers. That's really hospitable in this context. Contrary, because like most of the world, when they hear hospitable, they, they generally think entertainment. But that's really not the case here. Like, this is not about a clique or a tribal thing, right? I have my best friends over and they say, wow, you can cook a steak. Well, that's good. You should cook steaks and you should invite your friends over and I hope to be your friend, right? Do that. But this is someone who opens their heart and opens their home to those who most people just wouldn't. You're a lover of strangers, right? Think about who might have done that. Jesus, right? Because in the first world, uh, hospitality, here's a quote, it was a very practical expression of love, not a source of entertainment. Jesus was very hospitable. He didn't even have a home, but he just opened himself up to those who no one else saw. This is what it means. An elder ought to show that, live that, love that. Why? Because this is how we reach a people. We invite them into our lives. We invite them into our home. Let, let all our church have open hearts and open homes to the people who are outside of faith. <laughs> Man, you want to pray for something? Pray for that. Write that down. Pray for that. Like, put that in your prayer list because what a beautiful thing. Next thing is he must be a lover of good. He mustn't love money, but he must love good things, right? He wants the ultimate best for the people he comes in contact with, right? He's a lover of good. He doesn't love evil. He doesn't celebrate at wrongdoing. He loves what is good. Next thing is he must be self-controlled or maybe sensible is another way to say it, right? He's led by the Spirit, not primarily his emotions, right? How do you know? Because he can handle a conversation about politics and the jab-jab and not lose his head. Right? I've seen this in the church, specifically as of the last two years. We have people who get up here and they say, I just couldn't help it. Everybody needed to know it. No, everybody didn't need to know it. You need to be self-controlled. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guard your mouth. It's not true. Right? We want to be a sensible self controlled people and when you see that's not the case it's always on hot topics it's just not controlled the majority of your discussions turn into arguments that's a problem that's a problem you, how are you going to lead how are you going to have hard conversation right if someone can say your your pastoral counseling this is a quote i love this your pastoral counseling should produce more light than heat out of a preach I love the way that guy worded that. Who said it? I don't know, but I read it once. <laughs> he must be, and I'm just now I'm putting these three together, upright, holy, and disciplined. That's the last three. What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like necessarily. It does not look like Ned Flanders, a lemon yellow sweater vest, and everything's oakily doakily. <laughs> It's just not it. But that's what most people think of. What does it look like? Well, it means that you've been redeemed by Jesus and your life shows it. How do you know that most love? 
love, 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 love Jesus, love the church, love your city, love your community. We're not looking for perfect men, but we are looking for repentant men who trust a perfect Christ and grow in godliness from the truth of God's word. That's what we're seeking. Well, okay, men who, let's say, look like and smell like Jesus. You might be thinking, what does Jesus smell like? Not brute cologne, right? He smelled like sheep. You got to get this. Because there are a lot of people who, they might tick off all those qualifications, and they might be apt to teach, but you know what? They're never around sheep. They're never. So they never get put in a position to lose their temper. They never get put in a position because you just don't know them. They live in their little bubble. They stand up on their little stage and they get up and say the little things. But they're never around sheep biting at their ankles and seeing how you, in, how you engage that sheep. They look and they smell like Jesus. Their character's true, but it's true in the midst of chaos. Because that's what it means. That's what it means to lead God's people. Right? And so that's what we're looking for. Why does this matter? It matters so much because elders oversee people, not programs. Gosh, how many churches talk about leading programs. You, you, you lead people. You lead people. You shepherd people, not programs. Why does this matter? Because we're entrusted for caring for the eternal souls of the blood-bought church that Jesus went to the cross to die for. There's, it's a serious calling. So then the third and final point, and this one will be quick. And when I say quick, I don't mean one minute, so hang in there. Healthy churches have elders who instruct the church and correct opponents. Man, we got to get this. He, he must... Paul says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word, right? So that, why? Why must he? I mean, he loves the Bible. He loves the word of God. He knows the word of God. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound. By the way, that word sound means healthy. It's where we get the word hygiene in our language, by the way. Sound, healthy doctrine. What's doctrine mean? It means teaching. It means healthy teaching. It's clean. It's good. It's pure. It's from the Word. You can see it. You can apply it. You can understand it. This is what he means. You got to know the Word if you're going to teach the Word. That's what, but, but know it beyond head knowledge. Oh man, how many people I've seen come out of seminary know the Word, but not actually know the Word. You won't get this because once again, many of you are much younger than me, but there's a way to listen to Jimi Hendrix and never have heard Jimi Hendrix. But man, when you hear him, it'll change you. Oh, now I heard Jimi Hendrix. Right? You can listen to him all day, but you ain't picking up what he's laying down. Well, the same can be true of the Bible. You might be able to memorize chunks of Scripture. You might be able to know all 66 books. You might be great at the sword drill when that was a thing before you had a phone, and now you just touch it, right? Like, you might have all the patches from Awana, but none of it might have affected your heart. You don't buy it. You don't believe it. You don't apply it. You don't drink it down. Well, if, if you've got... If you got teaching that has affected your life and you are now I get it this truth has led me to godliness this is healthy this is good oh I want to follow Christ 
And I want you to follow Christ. Why? Because it leads to green pastures, still water, life, vitality. There is a real enemy. His name is Satan. He loves to kill, to steal, to destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elders must have known that. They have to have received it. They have to go to the Word of God and say, I need you. Before they can lead anybody. Before they can lead anybody. A faithful pastor, a faithful elder is a lover of the Bible because he loves God, and that's how God primarily communicates. He's both a teacher, he's a defender too, though. He's a teacher and a defender. You can see it right in the text. He encourages the faint of heart, and he corrects the wayward. Um, there's a man named, he's a reformer named John Calvin. He once said this, and I think it's, it just pinpoints this text. An elder or a pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and one for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. That's why no Oakley Doakley Ned Flanders. That guy don't ward off anything. Tough and tender, rhino thick skin, tender hearts who trust the word of God, who love God's people and would lay their lives down for them the way King Jesus laid his life down only in a completely different way to save that people that's why we people might say well you're lead pastor and this guy does the administrative guy there's some truth to that just informality but there is no lead pastor here unless his name's Jesus I think this communicates I think this matters you won't find a place in the Bible that says lead pastor you just won't it's not in there I've read it and I know guys who really push the first among equals. But generally what happens in those roles many times is that guy's king. Nobody challenges him. Why? Because well, he's the first. He's the best. But I want you to know something. That guy at For the City, as long as I have breath and as long as Kevin has breath, is Jesus. We're his under shepherds. And we're just trying to do what he says. And anybody who comes to be a part of this team that God calls out, he's going to be like that. And if, and, if, and if you're not, then we're going to work very hard to make sure that you either correct your thinking or you take a step down and step back. But, but don't make the mistake. There's not two tiers of Christianity. Like, oh, elders. Because honestly, the way up is actually the downward path in humility. You, you want to lead, man. That means get low. Jesus led wonderfully. What did he do? He washed the dirty feet of sinners. He didn't puff himself up. He stripped himself of all of that and said, let me serve you. Let me love you. That's what it looks like. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. So what does an elder look like? Looks like that. Smells like sheep. Looks like a humble servant. Serving the word. Serving you in so many ways. That's what it means. And if that's not what it means, then guess what? You've got a wrong understanding of what it means to be an elder. Or a pastor within a church, right? Um, so pray. We want to be a church plant that plants churches. And if that's the case, we need so much leadership. Now, that's elder, but in every avenue. Man, we need vibrant women who embrace the word of God. And who love to serve and love to teach women, children, in all the ways. So, so you might be thinking, well, what about the ladies? Oh, I'm a single ladies, right? No, like Paul's going to talk specifically to the whole church. But he starts with the elders. 
Because if that ain't right, you're off. Now, I said it with them, right? I said, what's in it for you? Well, this work is really simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, who's sufficient for these things? I feel that. I could get that tatted on my forehead in reverse. So when I look at it in the mirror, I can be reminded. Answer, no one. No one, not really. That's why elders are the most, hopefully the most dependent people who drink deeply from the gospel of grace. When we say gospel, I love how Kevin says, let's be very explicit. What we mean when we say that is that there is a God who created men and women in his image with equal value to be his image bearers, to reflect his goodness and his love within the world, right? But these image bearers rebelled We've sinned against the glory of God. We've sinned against our creator. We've sinned against our father. So now we are fractured image bearers. We sometimes reflect his goodness and kindness, even if you're a lost person. But, but we're distorted. We're fractured. And, and because of that, we deserve the wrath of God. We've rebelled against a holy God. But God, in his kindness, sent his son, who is the exact imprint to come and to live the life that you and I could never, ever, ever live. And he lived it perfectly. And he went to the cross for the, by the way, not as someone had his arm twisted behind his back, but for the joy that was set before him, Jesus lovingly, willingly went to the cross and said, I will receive the punishment that this people deserves. Father, why? Because I know you love them and I know that they're your people and, and they cannot come into your presence unless something drastic changes. There must be a payment for their sin. The wages of sin is death. That means physical and that means spiritual. And Jesus says, I will make payment. He is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And so he stretches out his arms in great love. He receives the wrath of God in our place. This is what we deserve. He receives it. And because of that, he goes to the grave. And if you know the story, he doesn't stay on the cross, does he, Joe? No, he does not. He resurrects from the grave triumphant. Why? Because he had no sin. He received, he took on our sin. But he, in that moment, defeated Satan's sin and death. He crushed it. Knocked it out of the park. It's finished. It's finished. And what's he say? All who believe, come. Repent of your sins Believe in this good news and you will have eternal life with God the Father now and forever. And now go and live and love in that way and share that message with the world. Why? Because I'm coming back. And there's going to be a day when I come back and I rip open the sky and I step back into human history where I will raise the living and the dead. And all who have trusted in King Jesus for their salvation will have eternal life with him forever. And those who have not received that good news and have not repented and submitted themselves to the lordship of King Jesus will bend their knee, will confess Jesus is king, he is Lord but they will then be cast into a real place called hell, separated from God in an eternal wrath, receiving the punishment that was poured out in Christ, and they never received it because they wanted to do their own thing. They stiffened their necks. They hardened their hearts. So pray for the people of this city to believe and to receive this goodness because it's not just about escaping hell. It's about enjoying life with God. 
which, by the way, is where I land the plane now. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ who ultimately calls us, sanctifies us, equips us, qualifies us for the task he has given to us. So, church, what's your response? I'm going to tell you, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, and I know this text has been abused, but you know what? You shouldn't shy away from preaching the Bible. Just preach it right and teach it right and believe it. And here's what it says. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. I know that's a lot. We hate that word in our culture. (sighs) Submit. uh. Why? For they're keeping watch over your souls. Kevin and I are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We will stand before King Jesus. Nothing's hidden from him. We will give an account for how we've cared for his people. Let them, let us do this with joy. Let us do it with joy. Why? Not with groaning, right? Every time we come around you, it's like a little sheep. By the way, you are a joy to pastor. And I wouldn't tell you that if that wasn't true because I had not said that for other people. But you're a joy, I I see a people who want to know and to love Jesus and want to know and love one another. You're a joy. It's not groaning. It's joy to lead you. Kevin would agree. We talked about it this week. We gave praise for that. The reason you want to do this is because he says at the end of verse 17, he says, because if you don't, it would be no advantage to you. We, We elders, listen, pastors in the church exist for you. You know, in so many ways, that statement's true. We exist for you. Yes, King Jesus is who we follow, but we, we exist for you. We're here for your advantage. We're here for your joy. One last text, and then we are done. I know I went long, but I don't even, I'm not apologizing. Second Corinthians 1.24 says this, and I want you to hear it, because honestly, this is the text that the Lord laid upon my heart as I went into pastoral ministries. And I've never wandered from it. Not that we lord it over you, right? Like, like, do what we say. No, we don't lord over your faith, but we work with you for your joy as you stand firm in your faith. Man, I want to work with you for your joy. I want you to love Jesus. Man, and I want you to love the church. And I want you to love this city. So the purpose, my purpose, Kevin's purpose as an elder is that by God's grace, we might lead, we might teach, we might preach, we might shepherd, we might instruct, and we might even correct our people into the enjoyment of Jesus forever for God's glory forever. That's why we exist. And I don't want to do anything else with my life. That's what I want to do to a drop. And I want to train others to do this. And I hope you'll want to do that. Okay? So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately need you to continue to show and reveal yourself. Because we will become what we behold. So God, I pray that we would behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that Lord, as the word has went out today, that people were confronted, that they were challenged, but that they were, they were so encouraged and comforted by the grace of God because you love them right where they're at right now. If they're in Christ, you don't love a future version of them. You love them. 
in all of their mess that they might be. And you have a plan to continue to work your good grace, your spirit in their lives so that they will be more like you. I pray you'd reveal more of your love, more of your kindness to this church body and that they might understand the depth, the width of your love, even though it might be unsearchable, but they might see more of your goodness. They might see more of your grace, mercy, and love. I ask that you would do this by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.